I will sing his power to save. This morning we have covered the gamut when it came to worship songs from contemporary to some of those that are traditional songs. And here's the thing. When it is focused on Jesus, you should be able to worship with it regardless of the generation you came with. And I'm going to tell you, I was, I was enjoying every second of that last song right there. In fact, there was a time when the choir went silent and I was about to let loose with a holler. And I was like, oh, okay, be calm, be calm. So anyway, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, band. Thank you, choir. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin with a quote, and this is from an article entitled, Looking for the Lies, and Robin Henning said, the English language has 112 words for deception, according to one count, each with a different shade of meaning, collusion, fakery, malingering, self-deception, confabulation, prevarication, exaggeration, denial, etc., She referenced a study that was done at TCU that surveyed 2,520 adults from 63 different countries. Listen to this. 70% said that they could tell if a person was lying based solely upon where the other person placed their gaze. Mmm. 70%. The article described how people think Naturally, we all have this built-in lie detector that we can tell when somebody is lying to us or if deception is being shared around us. And it's usually that our built-in lie detector is kind of based on intuition and a combination of looks and fidgets and mannerisms. For example, many people say that they can spot a liar because the person will look down and to their left when talking. And somebody else will say, actually, no, that's not how you detect a liar. A liar will cover their mouth unintendedly because they know what they are saying is not true. And others would say, no, 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 you've missed it completely. A liar is going to fidget a lot. And the next person says, no, they will sit completely still. Some say they're going to cross their legs. Others, they're going to cross their arms. Some people will say that The liar will not make eye contact with you because they are embarrassed about what they're saying. And the other person said, no, they're going to make constant eye contact because they are overdoing it. They're overcompensating for the fact that they're not telling you the truth. Some said that you can tell the liar because they're going to squirm. Others say, nope, they're going to stutter. Still others say, no, they will scratch themselves at different points. Here's basically what the entire article came to. All of us think we know when somebody is lying. All of us think that our little detection system is right. None of us can all be right, and yet none of us are willing to admit that we're wrong. (laughs) That's crazy to me, fascinating to me. So let's just say for the sake of argument that all of us are unbelievably good at telling when somebody is lying to us. We, we see lies out there. Here's the question. Are we nearly as good with detecting lies in here? What if our biggest issue has nothing to do with people lying to us? What if the biggest issue is we're lying to ourselves? How do we recognize the internal self-deception? 
Do we have our own little systems or indicators or tells when we ourselves are believing a lie? This idea of self-deception is a key point at the very end of James chapter 1. As I shared this last week, James is telling believers how it is that they can have undivided lives in response to truth. And last week we saw that he speaks of having that undivided life when we are receiving truth, receiving God's truth. That's found over in verses 19 through 21. And our big truth that we got into this last week is that Christians receive God's truth through submission, by purity, and with humility. When now in verses 22 through 27, he focuses on what it looks like to live God's truth, live God's word. That is, how do we apply scripture? How do we act upon what we've heard? Oh, when you hear the word or when you read the word, what are you supposed to do with it? Because it's one thing to say, I've received the word. It's quite another thing to say, and I'm now living the word. A lot of people can say, I've heard it. The question is, are you living it? Are you acting upon it? Is, is it flowing out of your actions? So in verse 22, listen to what he says. And by the way, I'm jumping ahead, but here, here it is. James chapter 1, verse 22, here's what he says. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers, here it is, who delude themselves. That's the self-deception part. He said, don't be like those who delude themselves or deceive themselves or lie to themselves. And then he describes in verses 22 through 25 the difference between being a hearer and also being a doer. But then he picks up the self-deception again in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Here's what James is saying. We can deceive ourselves about our spiritual condition. There are some people who have deceived themselves into thinking that they are a Christian when they are not a Christian. There are some who have deceived themselves into thinking that they are mature when they're not. He, he's saying in the text, don't be like those who delude themselves or deceive themselves. And, but then here's the beauty behind it. He gives us ways, he gives us indicators, tests, to find out whether or not we're deceiving ourselves in regards to truth. Living God's word, it is a fascinating piece that he is letting us into. So here's what James is basically given on his self-deception test. The first of those, he would say, if you think you're a religious person, but you can't control your tongue, you're deceiving yourself. Your religion's worthless. Wow, that's exactly it, Ken. Wow. James was not holding anything back. I mean, his writings at this point is about as comfortable as a sharp stick in the eye. I mean, he's not letting you just sit with this and marinate with this. Like, he is bringing it back to every single person. James, if he were to read Henning's article, he'd probably say, not only do we not know when people are lying to us, we don't even know when we're lying to ourselves. But he's not just dropping off bad news. He's actually making us aware of a problem while providing a solution. He's going to give multiple tests to help us discern where it is that self-deception is getting in the way of us living the word. So today, we're going to spend time talking through, walking through, studying what it looks like to live God's word and to do it without deception. 
We're going to see the difference between what it means to be a hearer of the word and what it is to be a doer of the word. We're going to discover that a doer of the word is somebody that the word of God impacts every part of them. Heart, mind, soul, spirit, actions. It it flows out of who they are. And then for an added bonus, we get a chance to discover what we truly believe. I'm glad you showed up this morning. I invite you to go with me in the Bible right now. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. I am speaking this morning on the subject of living God's word. Living God's word. So as you find your place in the text, I've got a small commercial break in order to share a praise with you. As many of you know, we have been sharing about our 2023 Meet the Need campaign and encouraging people that they are to pray through and see how God would have them to be involved. And if they've not turned in one of those Pledge cards, please do so. There's still opportunity. Those are out in the atrium. But here's the part that I want us to praise God for. This is a campaign that goes from February one year to February the next year. And today just happens to be the last Sunday of February. So I want to give you all an update on what happened this last year. We still have a couple of days in case you want to move my numbers back and forth a little bit. So here's the thing. As of this last week, We have received 105.8% of the pledges from 2022. You know what that means? That means almost 6% more came in in actual dollars than what was committed through a pledge card. Praise God for that. That equates to $1,165,000 above and beyond the tithe that accelerates debt reduction, supports church plants, expands This is the Gospel, creates a church residency program, invests in leadership development, and so much more. I praise God for the faithfulness of his people. Thank you for what it is that you're doing to continue to get the Gospel out. And remember... If you've not already signed up for 2023. (laughs) And by the way, if we run out of these out in the atrium, we will print more. I I, I say that jokingly, but here's the thing. We do get an opportunity to invest and to be a part of what God is doing around the world. I shared this with the early morning prayer team just this last week. There were people who came to Christ in our children's ministry, in our student ministry, and in our college ministry just this last week. Praise God. The gospel is reaching out. All right, so let's look at what the text says, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, there's that doing part, lives by it, acts according to it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's pray. Father, we are in desperate need of your spirit to help us recognize exactly where we are in light of your word. 
Lord, may we not deceive ourselves. May we not walk in a delusion. God, give us judgment day clarity this morning as to whether or not we know you or at the same time, if we do know you, where we are in our walk of maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. For a better understanding of the book of James, it is good to read it in accordance with or alongside the writings of the Apostle Paul. We find that James and Paul complement each other. They show the opposite side of the same coin. And for that matter, they both address different forms of self-deception. So the Apostle Paul fights against works-based righteousness. And James fights against easy beliefism. Works-based righteousness says it's all about what you do. Easy beliefism says it has nothing to do with what you do. Paul would say, your works do not get you into heaven. And James would say, yeah, but your words do not get you there either. And then James does this beautiful job of bringing together works and faith. He says in chapter 2, verse 18, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And here it is. And I will show you my faith by my works. That last phrase, show you my faith by my works. I, I'm going to show you through my actions what I believe. Do you, do you get that? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I've made a profession. Let me show you through my works what it is that I actually believe. True faith will be demonstrated by works. Now, the way to test the genuineness of our faith is to evaluate our actions. What are we doing? How are we living? Do, do our actions line up with what the Word of God says for a believer? All of that leads into our key truth this morning. One of the best ways to determine what you truly believe is by assessing what you actually do. One of the best ways to determine what you truly believe is by assessing what you actually do. Now, we're setting up a critical question, a critical connection right now between beliefs and behavior. And if you'll remember, I've been sharing this since we got started in our study of the book of James, that James is concerned about people living divided lives. He wants believers to be undivided between their beliefs and their behaviors. He's saying a, a Christian should not say one thing and then go out and do something else. He says that that's hypocritical. That is being inconsistent. That is living a divided life. But here's the thing. For the most part, we already live what we believe. Or let me say that another way. We already live what we actually believe. That's why this section on self-deception is so important. We can deceive ourselves because we talk a big game. We can deceive ourselves by saying, oh yeah, that's what I believe. I, I believe the Bible is true. I believe God's way is best. I believe God is in control. I believe God is going to take care of my needs. I believe that God loves me and sees me and knows me and guides me. It's one thing to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. The question is, how are you living? Because your actions are going to align with what you truly believe. So I say it like this. If I say I believe the Bible is true, 
and yet I reject the Bible and do something else? Through my actions, I just told you what I truly believe about the Bible. If I say prayer is the work, yet I'm so busy I don't have time to pray, my actions just reveal what I truly believe about prayer. Our actions are going to flow out of what we truly believe. So a part of having this undivided life is aligning beliefs and behaviors, and here it is, and recognizing where self-deception has made us think we believe one thing, but we really don't. And once self-deception has revealed this is what you truly believe, then we go and say, how does that align with God's word? And we submit to God's word and say, God, may you bring consistency between what I profess to believe and the actions of my life. So this last week, we saw that there are three parts to receiving God's word. And those three parts were we receive the word through submission, by purity, and with humility. We have to have each of those pieces, submission, humility, purity. All of those are essential for a person being able to hear the word of God and receive it into their life. But now the question becomes, if you've received it, how are you living it? That's step number two here. So we're going to see there's at least three areas of your life that will be changed. It will be changed when you're living the word. What are the three areas? It's going to change our speech, it'll change our actions, and it's going to change our character. Now, if it doesn't, here's what James is saying. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Now, those three parts are going to be found in verses 26 and 27. But we need to take a few moments and set up what it looks like to be a hearer versus a doer found in verses 22 through 25. Now, this entire section emphasizes that it's possible, it's probable that we can deceive ourselves. We see that clearly spelled out in verse number 22 as well as in verse number 26. So the question now becomes, how do we know what we truly believe? How do we know what is right or wrong? How do we know what is good or bad? How do we know what is true versus false? In order to know those things, we, we have to have a predetermined standard. We have to have something we're measuring things against. And for the child of God, that predetermined standard is the word of God. Because this is what scripture says. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Right here in this same context, James 1:18, it speaks of the word of truth. That is, truth exposes deception. So if we want to find out if we're deceiving ourselves, what he's saying is you need a predetermined standard. For the believer, the predetermined standard is the word of God. That is how we determine what's right, wrong, true, false, good, bad, all of those different things. Now here's why that's important. If we do not understand self-deception, we will say, well, Paul, I already know that. Of course the word's my standard. Course, yeah, the Bible's true. The, I, I believe that. I believe it from cover to cover. Listen, it's one thing to say the Bible is true and the Bible is my standard. It's another thing 
to live that truth and live according to that standard. And remember, one of the best ways to determine what you truly believe is by assessing what you actually do. So verse 22, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. A true believer is going to practice what it means to live out the word. They don't just verbally affirm it, they live it. That does not mean, oh, please hear me, it does not mean that you live it with perfection. On this side of heaven, we are going to sin. We're going to mess up. But here's what's going to be in the, a difference between a genuine believer and someone who does not yet know Christ. The genuine believer, when they see the standard and they desire to live by it and they're practicing the truth, even when they fail, here's what happens. The Spirit of God brings conviction over that sin that conviction leads to confession of that sin. That confession leads to repentance, turning from that sin. And here's what happens. We place our imperfections back before the cross. That's what happens with a believer. So when it comes to being a doer of the word, that word doer, the, the emphasis here is on the whole being. Uh, the doer is someone who the word affects their mind, their soul, their spirit, their emotions. Doing flows out of who they truly are. Okay, it's going to take me a moment. This may or may not connect. I hope it does. But give me a second. Here it is. It's one thing to make some occasional repairs around your house. It's another thing to be a professional builder. Come on now, I'm preaching to somebody out here. Due to the fact my wife is laughing as well as Kim Russell is laughing, apparently we know who we are not in this. Okay, it's one thing to prepare an occasional meal. It's another thing to be a professional chef. All right, I, I got a point on all of this. The doing of James 1 encompasses the person. James is saying living God's word is at the core of what it means to be a believer. They don't just occasionally do it. It's who they are. It flows out of every part of their being. When somebody is truly safe, you can't turn off the word. You, you can't say, I'm going to take it for two weeks, I'm going to turn that joker off, and then I'm going to do what I want to do for the next month and a half. When you are a child of God, you cannot turn it off because what's going to happen is the Word of God, it has gone into your emotions, it's gone into your heart, it's gone into your mind, it's gone into your actions. It now changes the way you think about what you think about. The Word of God is going to infect the entire person. And if it doesn't, he's saying, something's wrong. You're deceiving yourself. Listen, either deceiving yourself that you're a child of God are deceiving yourself about your level of spiritual maturity. Either way, there is deception that's happening. Now, the opposite of a doer is a hearer. This word here, fascinating to me. The Greek word for hearers was used of those who sat passively in an audience and listened to a singer or speaker. A comparison for us today would be somebody who audits a college class. Now think about this. They attend the class. Presumably they're listening. But they don't do the outside work. They don't write the papers. They don't take the test. 
they're not actually in the class. They're just with the class. Watch out. There are many who are with the church, but they're not in Christ. They're auditing the Christian life. They sit in worship services. They attend Bible studies. They they show up when it is convenient. But when something else seems more appealing or less demanding or more in alignment with what they want to do, here it is, they default back over to who they truly are. Listen, they're auditors of Christianity. They're not disciples of Jesus. The Word is not at the core of their being. And he's saying their actions are giving them away. This is... This is not only a maturity issue, this is a salvation issue. Now, if you think that my assessment is harsh or off, don't listen to me. Listen to the Word. Remember, the Word has to be our standard. Here's what 1 John 3.10 says. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Children of God are going to practice righteousness. And again, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means that we're in the game. <laughs> we're, we're in the process. We're working it out. We're bringing our imperfections back before the cross. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do you know if you know him? You're walking in obedience with what he says. Now, the opposite side is also true. It's found in the next verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In fact, Jesus was upset with this in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In other words, you're not deceiving him. You're deceiving yourself in the long run. What we do is either proof of our salvation or it is a proof of our lostness. Now, we understand based on the whole of Scripture, our actions do not make us right before God. But those who have been made right before God, it will be demonstrated through their actions. Character is evidenced by conduct. And conduct is the visible measure of true discipleship. Now, James shows how deep this self-delusion can be. He gives an example of a person looking into the mirror of God's word, found in verses 23 through 25. And basically he's saying the person who's just a hearer of the word is like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror, then they turn away from that, and they forget what it is they just saw. Now, in the New Testament times, the, the mirrors were typically made of a polished bronze or a polished brass Uh, What we would have is a glass mirror today. That wasn't even an invention until the 14th century. But because of the fact that it was a different type of a reflection, the polished bronze, the polished brass, many times would be those that would bring a dim or a distorted image. The person literally, if they're looking at it, they would need to hold it just right, get it in in the light just right to get a clear reflection. Now, this is going to be important. What he says in verse number 25, he speaks of the word intently. Here it is. The person who intently looks at the word of truth, the law of liberty. Here's what he's basically saying. 
For the person who carefully looks at God's word, seeing themselves for who they truly are. And if you're a child of God, listen, many times you go into the word and you see yourself as sin-stained and desperate and broken and undone before a holy God. He says that person who truly sees who they are in light of the word, they cannot just turn away from that and forget what they saw. It breaks them to the core of their being. It hurts their heart because they don't want there to be anything between their soul and their Savior. And they recognize that that sin is is hurting and offending a holy God. They're like, "I, I don't want that. The person who is truly a child of God, when they hold the word to their life, they're gonna look and say, I see it. God, I don't want that. God, I I confess that sin before you. As best I know how, I submit to you. Lord, I repent. I, I turn from that sin. I only want what you want. That's what happens when a child of God is living God's word. He said, if that doesn't happen, if you can look at the word and turn away, and forget about what you just saw. He's like, one of two things. Either one, the person doesn't know Christ. Or two, they've deceived themselves about their level of spiritual maturity. It's one of those two things. James uses this word intently in verse 25. He calls it to look intently with the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Oh, pause there for a moment. It's the law of liberty. God's word is not getting in the way of our fun. God's word is not getting in the way of our fun. It's the law of liberty. The word of God is showing you the pieces that are holding you back from God's best. And as we submit, here's what he says, submit and abides by it, that person's blessed. Do we want to walk in God's blessing and in God's favor? He, he said, here's how that happens. They don't just look at the word. Rather, the word is working into them. This one blew me away this last week. Here, here it is. The person who is looking at the word like this and is blessed, listen, the blessed doer of the word does not study the mirror just to gain more knowledge about the mirror. They study the mirror to know God and to discern what he desires to live through them. Why is that important? Because there are many who are in the church that they have made the goal of their life to study the mirror, to know the mirror, to quote the mirror, to learn about the mirror. They just don't ever live based on what the mirror is saying. They don't abide in the truth, and as a result, it's not changing their life. They don't do what the Bible is teaching. They have a head full of knowledge, but it's never sunk down into the core of who they are and is being lived out through their lives. Many people mark their Bibles, but their Bibles are not marking them. Those who live the Word, it's going to be flowing out through their life. Years ago, I had an old pastor tell me, Paul, don't teach people to love the Word of God. When he said it, it didn't sound right. My ears perked up. But then he went on to say, don't teach them to love the Word of God. 
teach them to love the God of the Word, and they will inevitably love the Word of God. If that doesn't happen, the danger is we can love our study of the Word more than the author of the Word. We can make it all about knowledge and not about knowing Him. Living the Word is not just having the information. It's the Word has changed the way we live. So here's these three pieces, and I promise they're fast. First, living the Word should change our speech. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, James is talking to church folk here. These are people who are claimed to be brethren. They're attending the services. They're going through the religious ceremonies. They're saying their prayers. He's saying your tongue is a great indicator of what's taking place in your heart. This, this phrase, does not bridle, it speaks of somebody who is saying whatever they want, whenever they want, without regards to God, to righteousness, who it hurts, or how it divides. He's, he's going to help them see, and we're going to see it in this next section, they're self-focused, self-motivated, and they're internally driven. They're lying to themselves, because many times they'll say, I'm just being honest. I'm saying what nobody else is willing to say. I'm not going to be a fraud like everybody else. So that now becomes an excuse for just like letting everything come out of the mouth. But listen, when the child of God is living the word of God, the spirit of God will bridle the tongue. That's in the word. You say, I don't believe it. Let me give you some references. That has to be our standard. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up, for edifying. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. James is clear. A corrupt and an unholy heart will soon come out in corrupt and unholy speech. Jesus affirmed the same thing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Second place, the word will change. It'll change our actions. Living God's word will move a person away from selfish actions towards selfless acts. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The further we walk with Jesus, the more he chips away itself. The more he says it's not about you, the more he moves us towards selflessness. So he now gives you some categories. He talks about pure and undefiled religion according to what is in the sight of God our Father. And by the way, that's the only sight we need to see. Somebody might say, but you don't, you don't know the motivation of my heart. This is, I'm doing this. This is pure and this is undefiled. It really doesn't matter the motivation of our heart. The issue is, is that what the Father says is pure and undefiled? And he gives two examples of this, two selfless acts. He says those who are caring for orphans and those who are caring for widows. Why would he bring those up? Because those two groups of people back in the first century were two of the groups who when they were in distress, they were genuinely in distress. 
unless somebody cared enough for them to come alongside and help. There was no welfare system helping them. There was not jobs many times that were readily available for those two groups of people. It had to be that somebody had mercy. Someone selflessly acted and did for someone else, even though that person could never return the favor. He's like, you want to test your motives? Find out where you were selflessly serving. Here's the last one. Living the word should change our character. Simply put, those who are living by the word of God are not compromising with the world. It says right here, to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, The world describes the ungodly systems and values and and philosophies of this present age. Uh, Keep, it speaks of continuous action. The idea of unstained by the world, it does not mean perfection. He's not saying unless you're perfect, it's showing you're not a Christian. In fact, unstained by the world, he's speaking of a central commitment and allegiance. Ultimately, who were you trying to imitate? Who were you trying to be like? When we align with the word and God is living through us, There's a freedom, there's a peace, there's a joy. When we sin, if you're a child of God, there will be conviction by the Holy Spirit that should lead to confession and repentance that should lead us back into right fellowship with the Lord. The joy is knowing that that our, our position before God is not dependent upon our perfection. The joy of the cross is recognizing that our sin debt has been paid. We are 100% accepted by our Heavenly Father. But those who are accepted by our Heavenly Father, they recognize that there is a part of walking with Him and fellowship with Him that we desire to be in obedience with Him. If you can remain in sin, and that sin not burden you to your core, I'd be concerned about that. So here's the reason, to me, all of this is so important. If we are to experience the fullness of what it means to know Christ and make him known, we not only have to receive the word, we need to live the word. One of the greatest statements that I've ever read, Major Ian Thomas He said, the commands of God are written to the life of Christ in you. In other words, even when I see those commands, it's not, now you go out and do it yourself. It is, God, I am going to submit to you because the only way this will be lived out of my life is if you live it through me. So when you hear this section on living the word, here's what I'm praying is going to happen. I'm praying that God removes the self-deception from all of our eyes. We all have it to some level. If there are those who self-deception has made them think that they are a Christian and they are not a Christian, I am praying that God would so remove the veil from our eyes that it would be unbelievably clear. For those who are saying, I'm here spiritually because you know a lot about Scripture. But the reality is, We're here spiritually because we're living far less than we know. I'm praying that God's going to reveal that as well. I'm not into manipulating people. I want to preach the word 
and leave it with the Spirit of God. So I'm going to ask you if you would, pray with me this time. With heads bowed, eyes closed. There's going to be pastors and counselors moving into place. The worship team is going to be coming out behind me. And we're going into this time of invitation. This is a time of response. This is a chance for us to, to respond to, to be a doer of the word, to act upon what it is that, that we believe based on what has been revealed through Scripture. So as people are finding their place in that, it might be in the room right now, there are people who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you look at the actions of your life, it would reflect the fact that there is not that relationship. Only God himself can reveal the true state of the soul to you. If you're not sure, would you ask him to reveal it right now? Just say, Lord, help me to see where I am before you. There might be some right now in the room that you've been praying for spiritual breakthrough, you've been praying for God's favor, you've been asking for God's blessing. And yet, right now, you're holding on to the fact you know a lot about Scripture. You've been a Christian for a long time. And yet, this text so clearly says the one who is a doer of the word and abides in it, he's blessed. The blessing flows out of obedience and abiding. So it might be this morning that you just simply need to come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for saying one thing and yet living something else. God, I want consistency in my life. I don't want there to be anything between myself and you. Lay those things before the cross. And remember, as believers, we are going to still mess up, but we have a Savior who has already paid the sin debt. There's a Heavenly Father who is welcoming us. It might be today that, that you have placed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet baptism has been the thing that you keep saying, I'm not ready for that. I'm not going to do that. And that might be the thing that right now the Spirit of God is saying, you need to get this part right. This is your next step in living the Word. I want to encourage you today, do not turn away the voice of the Spirit of God as the Spirit is leading and prompting. It might be that you have been searching for a church home. It might be that you have been attending for a while. It might be that you are a member at this point, and yet God continues to prompt you and say, your gifts are sitting idle. I want you to serve. And you keep saying, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. May today be the day that you say, God, I submit it all before you. I want to be a doer of the word. I want to walk in obedience with your spirit. I'm not sure where God is leading in your life, but we're going to have prayer. We're going to open up the, the altar. There's going to be a song that is sung. I'm just simply going to ask if you would respond to him. Heavenly Father, may you have your way in this place. Lord, may there not be a piece of manipulating minds, but Lord, may your spirit do what only the spirit can do. May you move and convict. May you point out. May you help us to see. May you remove the veil of self-deception and give us judgment day clarity about where we stand before you. And Lord, may you do in and through us what only you can. And God, we will be grateful for that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand at this time? We're going to have a song of invitation. The altar is open. We ask that you would respond as the Spirit prompts you.